0: Well, thank you very much for your warm welcome. It's always good to be here amongst you, our brothers and sisters. And I do bring our greetings from TCM, your brothers and sisters there. We join with you in prayer for this coming time. And having been through a couple of interregna ourselves recently, pray with excitement, because the Lord is doing good things. He will do things that will prosper you, not harm you. So you can look forward the exciting things that God is going to do for you, within you and through you so with that attitude go forward Okay, you may have seen spoof films where the title says it all for example Finding Nemo you see a fish swimming around looks behind a rock, says there he is then you see the words, the end Or, Batman returns, the door opens, Batman walks in, says, Hi, Mum and Dad, I'm back. The end. Okay? Um, At first sight, the heading we have here in the ESV, Saria's Death and Burial, says it all. There's a saying, it does what it says on the tin. If it says beans on the tin, when you open it, you hopefully find beans. I've not been discouraged yet or disappointed yet. But although the heading's not part of God's inspired word, it's been added to make it easier for us to read, what the heading gives us is the content of Genesis 23. So at first glance, this chapter could seem to us like one of those films. The heading says it all. Or the way you look at this story may depend on who you are as you read it. If you're a lawyer, you will probably focused on the way Abraham does his business. Here he, here he is buying some land. Verse 10 tells us, in the presence of witnesses, in the place where business was always carried out, at the gate of the city. So here he is doing business well. Well done, Abraham. A funeral director may be upset at the story, Because we all know that you should plan for a funeral years in advance and not leave it this late. Why have you left it till now, Abraham? Estate agent, you'll be tearing your hair out because everybody knows you never offer the full asking price for the property. Abraham, what are you doing? So why is this passage here? There's significance in every portion of God's word. The more we read this amazing book that 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us God himself has breathed out, the more we understand that he's preserved this book, every chapter, every word, to be profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So we should know as we approach this chapter, we're going to see that there's more to the relating of Sarah's death and burial than at first meets the eye. There is a significant moment here for God's people. What's this story meant to teach us? I've got three points, like a good preacher. First, we find a sorrow that all people are familiar with in verses 1 and 2. Second, an acknowledgement that this world is not the true home of God's people, verses 3 to 6. And third, a partial fulfillment of God's promise to his people, verses 7 to 20. Let's notice firstly a sorrow that all people are familiar with. Look at verses 1 and 2. Sarah lived for 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now here's the death of a very special woman in God's purposes and for God's people. Sarah is the only woman in Genesis whose age, we're told. She was 127 years old when she died. She stands out as Abraham's wife. She became the mother of Israel, God's chosen people, as Isaac, the son of God promised to them, was born two chapters ago. Chapter 21 is the last time we read of Sarah, when Isaac was born and Ishmael was cast out. That was 37 years ago. And since then, we've heard nothing more about Sarah until here. And this is a reminder that scriptures aren't a detailed, re- a detailed record for the sake of history, but selective for God's purposes. So we know Sarah's death must be a significant moment and a special event. More about that a bit later. But in another way, it's a common event. In chapter 22, which you looked at last week, God tested Abraham uh, in asking him to sa- sacrifice Isaac. A very extraordinary event. But here in the death of Sarah, we something that's common to us all. We know this experience will come to all of us, one way or another. Because of the fall of man represented by Adam, sin entered the world. And part of the curse was that death entered the world. The death of a loved one is common to us all. Abraham's a special person too in God's purposes of the redemption and salvation of his people. God promised in Genesis 12 and 15 to bring blessing and a great nation through him. And a saviour would come from his line. That's special. But that doesn't mean that he's exempt from very common troubles and sorrows. Yes, he's a special person in God's purposes, but he has to face times of difficulty and sadness that we all have to face. His wife dies and he has to bury her. God's people face sorrow common to all. We're affected by grief and sadness. We're not called to put on a show just because we're believers in Jesus. We can remember the life of a departed loved one with gratitude for a life well lived. We can rejoice if they were a believer that they will know Christ's victory over death now in his presence. But we feel the loss. Even as Christians, we experience the grief and distress and the loss of a loved one. We humbly accept and recognize our mortality. All die. But at the same time, as Christians, we can live purposefully and fearlessly by faith in the one who is able to bring his people to their home in heaven. Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now this is a very touching and a most intimate moment—the relationship of a man and a woman joined together miraculously, made one flesh by God in marriage—but disrupted temporarily. Mourning is not a lack of faith. You remember John writes about Jesus, uh, about writes about the death of Lazarus in John 11. And at the sight of his friend, we read in verses 35 to 36, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Likewise, Abraham wept. See how he loved Sarah. Faith doesn't insulate us from sadness and sorrows. Christians aren't superheroes, we're not machines. We are emotional beings. We have hearts that know gladness and sorrow. God knows. He made us that way. We're miraculously made in the image of God. So perhaps Genesis 23 is here for us this morning to remind us that sorrows are a common experience for us all. Abraham weeps for a loved one, for the loss of a loved one and then leaves to arrange her burial. Moving into verse 3, we find secondly an acknowledgement that this world is not the true home of God's people. Now, when I was here in February speaking uh, about Genesis 13, we were looking at Genesis 13 together, and we saw then what it means to be a foreigner and a stranger on earth. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning on this point. Hopefully you will remember the, the messages and the things that you learnt at that time then. But it's the reason for Abraham's need to buy a burial plot for Sarah, so we do need to cover it. We read verses 3 to 6. And Abraham rose up from his, before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham recognizes that he's a sojourner with no home in this world. But notice that the Hittites call Abraham a prince of God among us. They're saying he has importance, he has influence among the people, he's defeated kings in battle, he has military power, he has wealth. But now Sarah's died. And the truth is, no matter what they call him, Abraham has no place to bury her. He says, he's a sojourner and foreigner among you. They may say he's a prince, but he's no land to bury Sarah on. He's on a journey. He's obeyed God and left his homeland. He doesn't enjoy the rights of a resident. He's a tenant living on someone else's land. And Hebrews 11.13 tells us that Abraham and the so-called heroes of faith Acknowledge they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's what he's doing here. He may be a prince of God in the eyes of the Hittites, but is still a sojourner and foreigner in their land. And we need to acknowledge this too. The Bible makes it clear that those like Abraham, with the same faith in the same God, are in the same position. In Leviticus 25 and verse 23, God tells the people of Israel they were to think of themselves as sojourners even when they came to the promised land. Um, Listen to what God said. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. This is God speaking. For the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Do you see? God's the landlord. It's his land, and his people are strangers, even in the land that he'd promised them. Moving on to Psalm 39, Israel's King David's groaning how temporary and fleeting life is. And in verse 12, he cries to God Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. Listen, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest. Like all my fathers, it's become very clear to him that life's so fleeting and fragile, he and all his ancestors and all who come after him are to think of themselves as sojourners and strangers. And we see this acknowledgement moving into the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing. In the New Testament, The major part of Peter's first letters about how God's people are to live. And Richard's read this part of the passage out twice. Uh, So it must be saying something to you this morning. If God's repeating something, learn it or learn from it. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read what we've received and what we are as a result of our costly redemption through Christ. The relationship we, we enjoy with God in Christ. And then we find in chapter 2, verse 11, these words. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of, of the flesh which wage war against your soul. In the light of 1 Peter 1, all that God is, all that he's done for us, all that he's given to us, we're to live as sojourners and exiles in this world. That's what God's people are in this world. What does this teach us? As Christians, we're in Abraham's position. We're walking in his sandals. And we need to remember and acknowledge that we too are just passing through. We shouldn't be disinterested in this world, but we should be detached from this world. And all that it considers as important. We hold loosely to the things of this world. Never forget who we are. Just passing through. Like David, remember how fleeting our life here on earth is and how utterly dependent we are upon God. And this will strike us at some times more than others. I suggest perhaps in sad times or times of loss or grief, we may see our dependence on God a lot clearer. You know, When we have this right perspective, it can be strangely comforting, reassuring, even encouraging to realize who we are, safe in the loving arms and purposes of God. And when we're in that place, we realize just what really does matter. Perhaps you need to hear that this morning. Life is fragile and transitory, but the Lord... Is holding all the things that are important for you in his hands. He's holding you too. One day we will see all the fullness of the reality of this. Okay, the rest of the the chapter, we could say the rest of the chapters, just about the deal Abraham strikes with Ephron the Hittite for a burial plot. Notice that Abraham shows respect for the hittites a people god will call his people to destroy completely because of their detestable acts we see in deuteronomy 20:17 now this is a lesson for christians in a world where people seem to have forgotten how to disagree with respect we christians are called to holy living kind gentle Compassionate and respectful behavior. We're to be salt and light in this world. But that's another sermon. You'll have to call me back again. It's quite interesting, even fascinating, to see how the deal is done. In verse 6, Abraham's offered the choicest of tombs, the best they have. In verses 7 to 9, Abraham, with a bow, politely refuses. He has a particular plot in mind. Verse 9 says, The cave of Machpelah, which Ephron owns, which is at the end of his field. And he's willing to pay full price for it. There's a bit of to and froing in verses 11 to 16. Ephron speaks up in verse 11 and extends the deal. No, my lord, I give you the field. Abraham and Ephron then agree the price. Abraham hands over the silver and gets the field and cave for a burial plot. Straightforward deal. The deal's done properly and legally so that there can be no dispute later about whose land this is. The land now belongs to Abraham and his descendants after him. Deal done. But if that's all we see here, we miss the point of these verses because here's a sign of God's faithfulness thirdly a partial fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham of land for his people this chapter ties in with the promise God gave to Abraham don't miss this Uh, we sang in one of the verses in the last song about the promise that God made This ties in with that promise. Now we need to look back to Genesis 12 and God's promise to Abram. Let's read just verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all, and sorry, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there's four elements to God's promise place, the land, people, a great nation, protection, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who dishonor you. And fourthly, program, how. He'll fulfill his promise. In you, Abraham, all the families shall be blessed. Four elements. Place, people, protection, program. The life of God's people has to be seen in the light of this promise. And Genesis 23 has to do with the place promise land. Notice the references to land at the beginning and end of the chapter, chapter 23. We're in the land of Canaan. And this is important in the light of Genesis 12, where you'll remember we find Abram and Sarai entering Canaan. And in verse 7 there we read, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. When Abram and Lot went different ways in chapter 13, God said to Abram in, chapter, in verse 17, Arise, arise. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. See the connection? In chapter 23, verses 2 and 19, Sarah's buried in Canaan. Verse 19 tells us Abraham buried Sarah at Mamre. Why the reference to this place, Mamre? Looking back again to chapter 13 and verse 18, we read, So Abram moved his tent and settled by the oaks of Mamre. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram settles there and builds an altar to God there, a sign of Abraham's worship in recognition that God's in control of his life. In chapter 18, you remember we have the story of the three men who came from God to tell Abraham that Sarah would have a son. Where? by the oaks of Mamre. So God promised Abraham land and a son at Mamre. This is a special place. Choosing this place to bury his beloved wife shows that Abraham fully believes that God's promise to give this land to his descendants will be fulfilled. He buries his wife here because he believes God's promises. And notice the four references to possession in chapter 23. The Hebrew word translated as property in verses 4, 9, and 20 has the sense of possession by purchase. And there's also another Hebrew word translated as possession in verse 18 repeating the fact that this is now Abraham's possession. This portion of land has come into Abraham's, Abraham's possession. This burial places in the land of Canaan, the land God promised to Abraham's descendants. So Sarah is buried, buried in the promised land. See that God has begun to fulfill his promise of land to Abraham because he now possesses a field and a cave to bury his wife. This is a small but significant sign of God's faithfulness to his promises. The first piece of promised land is now in the possession of God's people of the promise, his covenant people. And we see, don't we, sometimes God chooses to reveal himself to us clearly In the smaller signs. An encouragement he gives through a sentence from a friend. An email or a WhatsApp message. Or a card in the post that reminds us that God's with us. And his good purposes and plans are for us. A Bible verse that he brings to mind. A chapter in a book we're reading. A coincidence that happens along the way in our daily life. Perhaps small things. They remind us that Almighty God cares for us, He loves us, and His Son died for us so we could receive an inheritance that's more precious than gold or silver. These can be small but significant stepping stones, signs of the faithfulness of God in fulfilling His promise of eternal life in heaven. For all who believe in him, small signs, but of big faithfulness. They're powerful, aren't they? If we see God's faithfulness in the small things, we can surely trust him to be faithful in the big things. God is good, he's loving, and he is faithful. In this small beginning of fulfillment of the promise of land to Abraham, In the provision of a small field in Canaan, God's giving a sign of greater things to come as He will lead His people into the promised land. And this provision for God's people in history gives all believers hope that there are greater things to come. God promised Abraham many descendants, a great nation, but He just saw Isaac. God promised Abraham the land of Canaan, the promised land. He just possessed this field. But these were a taste of the fulfillment of promise, which gave him hope and belief and faith that the promise would be fulfilled completely. And this belief carries on down through Abraham's descendants because of this plot of land at Mamre, Genesis 25, 9 tells us that Abraham was buried here. Chapter 35, verses 27 to 29 tell us that his son Isaac was buried here. Although his son Jacob and his family were living in Egypt, he asked his sons to bury him in Canaan, and they did. Chapter 49, 30 tells us in the cave. That is in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite. And Jacob's son, Joseph, was also carried to be buried at the same site in chapter 50, verse 13. Buried in God's promised land although it would be over 400 years before Israel would be led by Joshua into the land. Don't you just love God's word, which, where all things hang together and show God is in complete sovereign control. But we've experienced the same in Christ, who's come, has died, and has risen again for our salvation. But we haven't yet received the final fulfillment. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.13, according to the promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are still waiting for the new heavens and new earth that God has promised to all his people who believe in him. Still to come. But God has given us a down payment. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And we were hearing about the inheritance earlier too who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We've seen the beginning of the fulfillment as Jesus rose from the grave and we've received a gracious foretaste and a down payment which guarantees the full and final payment, fulfillment of these things to come. The field at Mamre was a guarantee that God will fulfill his promise and we have a sure and certain hope because of God's faithfulness to his promises. Hebrews 10:23 reads, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The Lord's faithful and will complete the work he's begun in us. It's good to experience showers of blessing. But don't miss the small signs of God's faithfulness. Be encouraged as you see his hand at work. Often in small things, someone's called them drops of kindness and mercy. Faithful is he who promised. There's a great assurance for God's people in Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Are we, are you, those who love God and keep his commandments? Then know that almighty God is faithful to keep his promise to you of eternal life in heaven. Abraham and Sarah considered him faithful who had promised, Hebrews 11, 11, and the rest is history, but with eternal consequences for all who puts their trust in their God. As I said earlier, Genesis 23 doesn't look all that promising at first glance. Superficially, It looks like Abraham's just catching up after not having made preparations for Sarah's burial site sooner. We mustn't look at any part of Scripture superficially. The Holy Spirit waits in Scripture to teach and instruct us that the word of God may dwell in us richly and build us up to serve him honorably. And my prayer is that the Lord has done that amongst us this morning. Amen. The music team are going to come up. Now, the God who is faithful to Abraham is also our God. He is the same God. He has not changed. He is still faithful to his people. We can trust him with our lives, knowing he has plans to prosper us. So we're going to sing about his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness.